Hi guys, Jen McGann, and welcome to the Fangirl, where today I'm doing a video style that I don't really do very often. I'm doing a book versus movie. I think my last one was in 2017 or 18, so it's been a hot minute. But I finally finished the Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone book and thought, eh, I might as well do a book versus movie. I know there's a billion of them out there, but not mine. My video on that does not exist yet. And for anyone wondering, I did go over every single chapter of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone on a little side project I'm doing called There, I Read It. I started that here on the Fangirl, but then I ended up bumping that over to the Fanily, so I will link that in the description below if you want to binge what I thought of every chapter of the book. And actually at this point, I am almost done with Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, so I will have uh, all of those videos starting to premiere before too long over on the Fanily as well. Now normally I do all of my videos here on the Fangirl very very scripted but book versus movie videos are a little bit different so I'm just gonna be using the notes out of my uh, very pretty Harry Potter journal. Ooh la la! And just to throw out this disclaimer that I do for every book versus movie, I'm not gonna obsess over listing every single itty bitty difference because for one that doesn't give you the viewer any incentive to watch the movie or read the book. And two, if I listed every single minuscule difference, we would be here for hours. And mama has places to be. Okay, so for the different notes that I have, Dumbledore says directly that he doesn't want Harry to grow up famous, but he doesn't say anything about Voldemort or what happened with his parents. So the movie does open with a much more mysterious feeling than the book really does. The book is more, here's what's happening we don't know everything, but you know, here's a bunch of exposition. The movie's like, let us create some intrigue. And just like in the book, actually, Dumbledore leaves a baby Harry with a letter and nothing else on the front door of the Dursley's house. I mean, no wonder they would be annoyed with him. Wouldn't you be annoyed if you woke up and looked down to get your paper and there's a baby there that you don't even know? But I did notice that Baby Potter has blue eyes, whereas in the book they're constantly commenting on his green eyes. Then we have a quick jump cut and it's been about 10 years that have passed. Harry is living under the stairs in a broom closet and Dudley is above him jumping going, wake up Potter, we're going to the zoo. So in the movie version, Dudley doesn't have the friends that he's shown as having in the book. And in the book, Harry was not supposed to go with them to the zoo. In the book, the situation was that they lost their childcare, so the options were to either bring Harry with them to the zoo or leave him at home alone, and the Dursleys did not trust him alone in their house. Which, of course, we're missing 10 years worth of explanation as to why the Dursleys feel this way, but the Dursleys are definitely a lot more aggressive feeling in the movie versus the book. At least in the first book, which is what we're going to stay confined within because I don't really know what happens in the other six books. And I did notice that the Privet Drive houses, they all feel like really pretty small townhouse style homes. In the book, they don't really describe the house very much at all, but I, I was kind of under the suspicion that the Dursleys were broke, and the size and look of those houses kind of reinforced that for me. And of course, maybe they just live in some huge city where houses are small and expensive, but the Dursleys' home definitely didn't feel very large 
Marge in the first book or the movie. And the movie shows that Harry is the one that has to cook breakfast for the entire family and it's loosely implied that he cooks all of their meals, which is very different because in the book Harry is complaining like, oh Dudley gets to eat so much and I wish I could have, you know, third and fourth helpings. But in the book, it's at least suggested that Harry wouldn't ever be allowed to cook because they would be afraid, the Dursleys would be afraid that he'd pick off some of the food while he's up there at the stove. So again, it's just another example of how in the movie they're very much going out of their way for us to not like the Dursleys and to see that Harry is treated like a slave, whereas in the book he's just kind of inconsequential to them. Like they, they don't want him there, they're not very friendly to him, and they kind of treat him like he doesn't exist as much as possible. But in the movie he seems to be doing blatant work for the Dursleys while they just sort of sit there and let him be their servant. Then at the zoo, Harry makes the glass of the snake cage disappear, Dudley falls into the exhibit, and then the glass reappears and Dudley stuck in there, so it, it's an extra level of freak out for the Dursleys. I believe, and I probably should put out a disclaimer, that I, I might have some details hazy in my mind already since I've started going into the second book, but I believe I recall reading that Harry accidentally released the snake at the zoo and the snake went past Dudley on the floor. I don't believe Dudley got in the habitat at all in the book. And when they get home after that little zoo incident, we see Uncle Vernon in the movie is grabbing Harry by the hair and kind of dragging him over to the closet door to shove him in there and lock it. And I will say the movie does a much better job at making Harry seem abused and very sympathetic and they, they erase a lot of the attitude that we see from him in the book. Because in the book he may not challenge Vernon, you know, face to face directly very often, but his internal dialogue is sort of, well, I'm better than all you people anyways and here's why you all suck and I'm the greatest. And it's got a very heavy arrogance to it that made it very difficult for me to like Harry in the first book. But then we do see Harry in the movie playing with these little war figurine toys, so he does have some belongings. It seems like the Dursleys did give him things at one point in time, and they're not broken, so I don't think it's stuff that like Dudley discarded and Harry took. I think it's more of a situation of the more magical Harry got, the less the Dursleys were willing to treat him like a person. And then shortly after that, Harry's out of the closet and we see him serving the Dursleys cookies. So again, there's a very butler-esque feeling in the movie, but I don't think the Dursleys would have dared let Harry do that in the books because I think for one, Petunia takes pride in doing that housewife cooking kind of thing. And for two, like I said before, they wouldn't want Harry to take or consume any of the food. But all the Hogwarts letters start pouring in, they end up in the little shack rental out on the rock, and Harry is laying in the floor at night drawing himself a little birthday cake in the dirt. And again, that, that does make him seem so much more like a sad little puppy dog pathetic in the movie versus in the book where he's just constantly going, well, I never get this. Well, I never get to do that. Well, I don't know why they're treating me this way. You know, it, it's a much different vibe from Harry in the book that I don't care for. Then Hagrid 
Hagrid comes in, he hands Harry a cake, Dudley steals the cake, and then that is the point where Hagrid goes flick flick and puts a tail on Dudley in the movie. Now to the contrary, in the book, again maybe my memory is fuzzy, but I don't remember Dudley actually getting into Harry's cake. What I recall from the book is that Uncle Vernon was getting mouthy with Hagrid, and so Hagrid got irritated and punished Vernon by putting a tail on Dudley, which I found that upsetting because at that point, yeah, Dudley's not great, but he's also an 11 year old boy. So to be mad at the father and punish Dudley just for standing there was, was messed up in my opinion. Did not care for Hagrid doing that at all. And then in the movie, Hagrid and Harry leave the shack immediately to go shopping at Diagon Alley, whereas in the book, Hagrid spends the night and makes everybody uncomfortable. When Hagrid and Harry get to Gringotts in the movie, it also seems like a very smooth ride to the vault. Like they just roll up like no big deal. In the book, it was described much more like a roller coaster ride where you went on these crazy speeds all over the place and you knew you were way, way, way deep underground. In the movie, I guess you could infer that all of the bank vaults are underground, but it definitely removes that sense of how far down they had to go. And in the movie, as soon as they're done shopping at Diagon Alley, it is straight to the train station. In the book, Harry had to go home for like a whole other month and get dropped off at the train station by the Dursleys. They were just like taking your junk out of the car, throwing it on a trolley, peace out, bye. They didn't help Harry get to the train. They didn't make sure that the train was even real. The Dursleys were just out of there and glad to be rid of of Harry. Then in the movie, Harry does run into the Weasleys who help him get through the platform, but Harry never actually introduces himself until Ron comes to sit with him in the train. And in the book, they find out who he is a little earlier than that. And you know, everybody's starting to clamor that Harry Potter's here somewhere. There's Harry Potter somewhere. And Ginny Weasley is all like, oh, Harry, I have such a little crushy thing on Harry. But I almost do prefer the movie version to the book version because it does show us like how good Molly Weasley is. You know, she wasn't going, well, you're nobody, so I'm not gonna help you. She saw a kid in need, so she told him what to do. You know, she went that extra mile to try and help him. It wasn't like, well, I helped you because you're Harry Potter. I helped you because you were a kid in need. And I love Molly Weasley so much that I, I like that representation of her better, I think. And I did notice in the movie that the train stops and lets everyone out at Hogsmeade. In the book, I don't think it clarified. It kind of felt like the book pulled up right across the river, lake, whatever from Hogwarts and then they had to travel a little bit more to get there but for the most part they were right there. So the movie at least gives me a better map of where things are in this city townscape that they're in. And in the movie, there is no stressfulness of all the first years waiting in the hallway going, oh, what's going to happen next? Oh, I hope it's not a test. Oh, I hope it's not this. I, it's going to be awful. What are they going to do to us? Why are we separated? And none of the ghosts walk through the hallway either, which is kind of sad because the ghosts are always fun. Instead, in the movie, the kids go straight to McGarnagle and for some reason she has Trevor right at her feet. Trevor, of course, being Neville's missing toad that he lost somewhere on the train. And in the book, Malfoy actually meets Harry while they're on the train. But in the movie, Malfoy meets Harry right before they're about to get sorted. So it just really doesn't 
doesn't create a huge difference in the story, but it's contextually a little bit different. Because it is strange, in the book the kids are moving around the train a lot more, like there's a lot more interruptions and people coming to see Harry and stuff like that, and they really just skip over that in the movie, and it's a quiet train ride for Ron, Harry, and Hermione. Which, now that I've said that out loud, it feels like Hermione is joining their group a little bit too early. In the book, Hermione does meet the boys when they're on the Hogwarts Express, but they're not really friendly for a long time after that. But in the movie, it just felt like Hermione came onto the train car and woo, now we're all friends! Which makes it a little bit more strange at Halloween, but we'll get there in a minute. Anyways, in the movie, the sorting hat is not done alphabetically. Hermione is the first to get sorted, and that hat is loud AF. In the book, it seems like the hat goes all the way over the faces of the first years, and it can read their minds so they don't have to say anything out loud. And I grant you, anytime there's internal dialogue, that can be harder to display in a movie. But the sorting hat just seems so different. It, it's just sitting there on Harry's head going, Oh, Slytherin, you'd be so good at Slytherin. Oh, not Slytherin? Are you sure not Slytherin? Like, shut up, Sorty. Maybe he wants to keep that on the DL. Maybe Harry's goal at his first day in the school is not to tick off every single Slytherin out there by going, not Slytherin, not Slytherin. And nobody in the movie noticed it or called him out on it or anything. But yeah, I think that could have been fixed in the movie if the sorting hat was large enough to go over Harry's head like it seems to in the book. And then they could have had that little back and forth just like whispering inside of the hat instead of the hat sitting up on his head screaming and Harry down here going not Slytherin like whispering like my kids hey did you hear it like yeah everybody heard you don't whisper right and in the movie right after Harry gets sorted the scar on his head hurts when Snape is looking at him maybe I've just totally mind dumped that but I don't remember Snape affecting Harry's scar at all in the book it also doesn't make much sense in the movie, all things considered, for Snape to at all affect Harry's scar. But maybe Quirrell was sitting there looking at him too, but uh, I don't I don't recall seeing him. The camera was very focused on Snape. And the word prefect, the book loves the word prefect. They say it at least five billion times. In the movie, that word does not come up one time until Halloween, and then they don't even explain what it is. So for anyone else who had not read the books before, like me, a prefect is one of the students who are an upperclassman and they're sort of in charge of the whole house. It seems like each house might have multiple prefects, but they're basically the one you go to for whatever problems you have. If you're familiar with the Boy Scout system at all, it'd be like your patrol leader or assistant patrol leader, maybe even your senior patrol leader. But it's just one of those chain of command things where if you have a problem, you go to the prefect. If the prefect can't solve it, they'll go to a teacher if that professor can't solve it, maybe they'll go up to Dumbledore or somebody else. You know, it keeps the little kids from just going straight up and bothering professors or Dumbledore or whoever they can get a hold of for every little thing. And then when Harry finally gets in potions class, in both the book and the movie, Snape gives Harry a really hard time. But in the movie, it shows that Harry is actually writing down exactly what Snape is saying. And Snape accuses Harry of not paying attention. The book doesn't do it like that. It's just like right away Snape doesn't like Harry and he starts kind of digging in on him. But in the movie,
movie, you know, with Harry taking these notes, it again makes him seem more sympathetic. He's this good kid doing what he's supposed to do and then this teacher's just picking on him for no good reason. And it's just another example of how the movie really demonstrates Harry as a lot more likable. But it's also a double-edged sword because the more likable Harry is, the less faults he tends to be seen with and the more godlike he is over just a normal kid in this unusual situation. Then we have a male day with all the owls rushing in. Neville gets his Remembrall, which is a ball that turns red when you forget something. And that's the same in the book and the movie, but I am curious, what are the contexts of forgetting something, quote unquote? Because, I mean, we're always forgetting something as people. We don't retain every bit of everything we're ever told or that we ever see or that we ever do. So shouldn't the smoke in a Remembrall constantly be red? Then it is time for flying lessons, the very first flying lessons of the Hogwarts year. And in the movie, it is Neville's broom that just kind of takes off first and goes crazy and all over the place. And Harry himself hasn't moved yet. In the book though, all the kids seem to be doing some flying for the most part if they could. And Harry was seen as being very naturally talented on his broom. But then Neville got hurt and had to be escorted out of the area. So in the movie, Harry just going up in the air after Malfoy and catching the Remembrall really quickly and doing, you know, doing all of that, it felt a lot more sudden and out of nowhere and it, it was just over in a flash. If any complaint I have about the movie, it's that it clips along so quickly that it can be hard to keep up with everything that's going on. It, it's just so fast. And it's not a little movie, it's two and a half hours long. But then McGarnagle shows up and she's taking Harry to find Wood. In the book, it's Flitwick's class that McGarnagle interrupts to take the Quidditch Captain Wood out. But in the movie, it is Quirrell's class. And I actually realized that Flitwick does not come up one time. The entire movie just abandoned Flitwick completely. I hate that. Then Harry gets on the Quidditch team and in the movie, Ron says first years never make the team. In the book, there was a whole rule against first years and they actually had to get permission from Dumbledore to let Harry play. Then in the movie, one of the moving staircases move like they do and it forces Ron, Harry and Hermione onto the third floor where they end up seeing Fluffy. In the book, they were up there, I believe, exploring of their own accord when they had to duck into the room with Fluffy. And I also noticed that in the movie, all the classes are mixed with kids from every different house. Whereas in the book, they keep it all Gryffindor, all Ravenclaw, all Hufflepuff, whatever. And then every so often you'll have a doubles class where it'll be Gryffindor and Slytherin together or something like that. But for the most part, the kids are not blended. They all stay together based on their houses. So movie-wise, they made Hogwarts a lot more, I guess, Americanized because it's pretty rare in the United States for kids to stay with the exact same group of people through every single class change. Usually it's mixed up based on a student's interests, their skill level, whether they're going to college or not, that kind of thing. And the movie has a kid that keeps sort of blowing himself up for comic relief. I believe they said that was Seamus. 
And also in the movie, the troll that gets loose in the castle goes into the girl's bathroom of its own accord. In the book, Ron and Harry kind of lock the troll into the girl's bathroom, not realizing that's where Hermione is. And then the owls come again and Harry gets his Nimbus 2000 delivered right there at the breakfast table, lunch table, whatever, all the tables really. And in the book, Harry reads a note first that says, don't open this here at the table, open it in your room. But in the movie, he just opens it right there at the table and like, wow, it's a Nimbus 2000, that's amazing. And then we just see McGarnagle kind of nod over in the background there to say she got it for him. In the book, I do believe that McGarnagle signs the letter that she sends to Harry. Like she's very pro-Gryffindor, pro-Quidditch. So getting Harry a broomstick is kind of her donation to the team. It's not just like, well, here's this poor little boy who can't buy his own stuff, so I'm gonna help him. McGarnagle is much more of a boosters club kind of gal in the book, rather in the movie where she just seems to kind of feel bad for Harry. And then at the Quidditch game, the movie makes it so much more dramatic. In the book, Harry is being shook around with his broomstick, and when he gets off of that, he has the snitch in his mouth. In the movie, once Harry is free from being shook around, he then dramatically goes after the snitch by standing on the broomstick, and it's a very cinematic uh, moment, but it's a very different moment. Also in the movie, the wizard's chess pieces don't talk, whereas in the book they actually give advice. And when it's Christmas time, Harry only opens his invisibility cloak and none of the other presents are even mentioned. Hagrid's present isn't mentioned, the present from the Dursleys isn't mentioned. Um, they do reference that Harry got a sweater from Molly, but he doesn't even open it up before he takes off with the cloak. And while wearing the Cloak of Invisibility, Harry sees Snape harassing Quirrell in the hallway in the movie, whereas in the book, he sort of follows them on the broomstick and hovers on top of them in the Forbidden Forest watching Snape harass Quirrell. But seeing Snape go after Quirrell in the hallway is what forces Harry into finding the mirror in the movie. So again, he wasn't just wandering around or trying to escape Filch, he's trying to escape Filch and Snape, which Snape definitely feels like the bigger threat in the movie than Filch. And in the film, when Harry looks in the mirror, he only sees his parents. In the book, he sees his parents and what he believes are like all these different great-grandparents, ancestors, all these different people in his family. The movie also says that the Sorcerer's Stone that Nicholas Flamel made is the only one in existence, which I know was a question that I had in the book, so I do like that they clarified that in the movie. However, the movie does skip over all the issues with Norbert the dragon and how he just got huge and Hagrid couldn't handle him and they had to send him off to Charlie in Romania. And none of that happens in the movie. They just skip straight to the detention scene Neville's not even involved, it's Malfoy in the mix with them. And then in passing, the movie says that Dumbledore sent Norbert away to go live in a Romanian colony. They don't even mention Ron's brother. Now it's time for detention and the movie has Malfoy, Harry, and Fang all paired together in the Forbidden Forest. And Harry does not seem to have any kind of scar type reaction when the whole unicorn eater thing happens. In the book, this was a very long scene. We had a lot of centaurs, I think they're called, the horse human people, and how you couldn't get a direct answer out of them, and they had issues with all the human and wizard stuff going on, and they didn't want anything to do with it, and how dare so-and-so help Harry. It was a whole big thing that's just completely condensed to like, 
two minutes of the movie. Then, because the movie is clipping along so quickly, we have the kids trying to get down the trapdoor to save the Sorcerer's Stone. And because the movie cut out the part where Hagrid gives Harry a flute for Christmas, they just walk into the room with Fluffy and this enchanted harp is playing and Fluffy's asleep. And then for no explained reason, the harp just stops playing so that Fluffy can wake up and make a moment of suspense in the film. And of course it's cheap suspense. No giant dog is gonna eat some kids in a children's film. But you know, instead of Harry having to put Fluffy to sleep and then they jump down the trapdoor, now Fluffy's asleep and they have to move his paw and get down there but then Fluffy wakes up and he's biting at them like a velociraptor right as they're falling down the hole. And the movie also does not give a very good sense of how far they had to drop down that trapdoor because it was I think they said something like half a mile deep but it feels like they just dropped down the length of a room in the movie. And to get out of the devil's snare Hermione and Harry just have to relax and they sink deeper down into a new room of this weird corridor set up but Ron is getting really ensnared by the devil's snare so Hermione has to remember how to defeat it with light which she does and then they move on to the next room and the next room has a bunch of flying keys in it in the movie the broomstick is sitting right there in the middle in the book there's broomsticks like against the wall so it's not quite as obvious as they make it in the movie I mean come on think about it this is supposed to be a door that keeps you from moving forward <laughs> and here's this broom glowing right here in the center. I mean, it, they, they weren't doing great at keeping it a secret. They also don't explain in the movie how Harry knows which key is the right key. And in the book, it's because the key with a crumpled wing has crumpled wings because somebody grabbed it and shoved it into the keyhole. But as soon as Harry touches the broom, all the keys get mad and start going after him very angrily, which I don't believe is how they reacted in the book. Then the kids are doing the giant life-size wizard's chess and Ron gets physically hurt in the book. Like they don't know if he's alive or dead when they leave that room. They're really worried for him. But in the movie, the wizard chess piece just seems to attack the horse and then Ron falls over. So it doesn't really feel like Ron's that hurt. But at that part in the movie, Harry tells Hermione, okay, go take Ron and go back and get help. I'm going to move forward to the last room on my own. In the book, Hermione goes with him through a troll room where the troll is already defeated and then a potions room that was set up by Snape where we find out that wizards do not know how to use logic or at least most wizards don't. And I do want to point out that losing points was such a huge deal for Ron, Harry, and Hermione in the book, but in the movie, the only person who really seemed to notice that they lost 150 points for Gryffindor was Neville. And then Neville gets petrified for that in both versions. But everybody was really upset with Harry over that in the book. And, and there's really no larger sense of what's going on with the Gryffindor house in the movie. Also in the book, when we get to that last moment where Harry is fighting against Quirrell and it says he's burning Quirrell, I never got the impression that Quirrell died from that, just maybe put in a debilitating state. But in the movie, he turns to ashes and falls apart. So it's a very clear difference. We also see what looks like the spirit of Voldemort come up from the ashes and pass through Harry, which again, I, I, 
I don't think anything like that happened in the book. If it did, I totally blanked out. But overall, between the book and the movie, I mean, again, there's no Flitwick in the movie, which I, I hate. I thought he was such an interesting little tidbit here and there. And everything in the book that made Harry seem even slightly bratty got cut out from the movie. Even a lot of the Dursley bits that make them seem a little bit more strange or unlikable were completely removed. And I find it weird that in the movie, Harry certainly murdered Quirrell, even if it was in self-defense, but Harry has like no residual guilt, no remorse, no nothing over it. Also in the first movie they have these pointy hats that I don't think are ever seen again. And I mean, they make an aesthetic, but I don't know that it's a good aesthetic. So maybe that was a good call to not continue with the little weird pointy hats. In the movie, Dumbledore also seems to be a lot less aware of what the kids are doing, because in the book it, it's not directly stated, but it's kind kind of implied that Dumbledore set up Ron, Harry, and Hermione to be able to go through the trapdoor. And so he let them find things or learn things that would make them successful in getting through to the end where Voldemort would be. Which does make sense because for Harry to get the Sorcerer's Stone, I mean, not many people would be capable of doing that. So Dumbledore definitely wanted Harry to make it all the way through to the end and get a hold of the Sorcerer's Stone. But in the movie, he just feels a lot more disconnected from the students and everything that's going on. He's just more of a presence than a force that's actively involved. And Hagrid, at the end of the movie, gives Harry this book of moving pictures of his parents with no explanation as to where that came from. In the book, Hagrid actually went and solicited all of James and Lily Potter's friends to get those pictures for Harry. And it is Hagrid himself who suggests that Harry should threaten Dudley with magic, even though he can't really use it outside of Hogwarts. Whereas again, in the book, it was Harry's idea to be like, well, Dudley doesn't know I can't use magic, so this summer is going to be fun. You know, anything that was even remotely bratty about Harry was totally taken away. Nothing's his fault anymore. And yes, that does make him more likable in the movie, but it also makes him less of a three-dimensional character, I think. And also at the end of the movie, there is no invite for Harry to go to Ron's. Hermione doesn't say anything about writing people. And the Dursleys aren't shown to pick Harry up at the train station like they do. And I think that's all the notes that I took for this movie. This has been a very, very long video. But in terms of which is better in the book versus movie debate, I mean, I guess that all depends on what you want from your Harry Potter. Potter experience. If you want Harry to be more perfect and more godlike, then the movie is the way to go. If you want Harry to be kind of less likable and maybe the Dursleys to have more character, more room for development, or even just to see other characters besides Ron, Harry, and Hermione get character development, then the book is definitely the way to go. Either way though, I hope you have enjoyed listening to me go over these many, many notes. Again, if you would like to listen to my Harry Potter chapter by chapter breakdowns. Those are available on my mini side series thing, There I Read It, which is on the family, or you can just find the podcast directly if you prefer. I mean, it's not really a visual kind of show anyway, so the podcast works just as well. But I want to thank everybody for watching, and I have to tell you, I might be overthinking it, but that's literally my job. Hi guys, Yeb McGann, and welcome to the fangirl where I'm doing a video style I don't do very often. Because for one, that doesn't give you any incentive to ever watch the book or read. Really? They just, you know, pieced out, gone. 
But in terms of which is better, Brooke and that just makes me love Molly Weasley a little bit more than I already do. And in the book, Malfoy actually meets Harry during the whole train debacle. And I grant, and I grant you that can be, and I do want to point out that, and I do want to point out that losing points was such a big deal for Harry, Hermione, Hermione. We'll leave that part out. Well, family members, we're almost done, but I want to invite you to hang out with me in some other places. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as my own personal self, and I have a Facebook page too, but I mostly just post photos over there. And sometimes people say, hey, McGann, I want to mail you something. How do I do that? Easy. Just click the About tab on my channel page, and my most current P.O. Box info will be right there. I also run another channel, The Family. It's really a hodgepodge channel where we might post anything. Oh yeah, and I also sell shirts and stickers and stuff with the family and the fangirl logos. If that is your cup of tea, I have a link in every description of every video. Finally, if you want to help out the fangirl channel and make sure I'm putting out video essays for years to come, the best way you can help is by subscribing and watching more of my videos, whether they're new, old, whatever. Maybe even share one or two on social media, help spread the word. People who watch to the end of videos like you helps to tell the site, hey, this is a good video. We should recommend it to other people. So if you made it this far, leave me a comment of something like, hey, I made it to the end. Love ya. See you next time, family members. Bye.